0: Please turn in your Bible to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 5. We introduced this chapter last week. Uh, we will continue on with it um, this week. Proverbs chapter 5. I'll begin reading in verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, springs of water in the streets? Let them be yours alone. And not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress, and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. And he watches all his paths. His own integrity is uh, will capture the wicked. And he will be held with the cords of his own sin. He will die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray now uh, that... You would use this word to con- develop deep convictions in our own heart. Lord, may we, may we respond appropriately to your word today, applying it to our lives. And may you get glory and honor from this time together. And when we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, by way of introduction, I just want to point out to you God's design, a few things about God's design uh, that we need to keep in mind, that we need to remember. God has designed that we are to have the image of God stamped on us. God has placed his image on us, on mankind. We are the highest of God's creatures. He has put us in charge, only us in charge, and we are to rule, we are to have dominion. And that's a place of honor, that's a place of dignity, that's a place of respect, and even nobility, if you will. We are in God's place, and we are to live to the glory of God. We are to live to the glory of God. Now, we know that we have fallen short of that glory. We, we know that. But as Christians, we are to recapture that glory, and we are to live, we are to continue to live to the glory of God. We can do that now. We can do that. Number two, man was created as individual beings. Now, I know this may sound a little strange, but we're created as individual beings. I do not have two people living inside my body. There's only one. There's one person per one body. It's not two per one. Now, you say, that's kind of goofy. It is kind of goofy. But it makes a point. We are are limited. We're limited uh, to this body that were confined to this body and to a certain degree I can share things with you But really I can't that's the limitation. You don't know my pain You really can't feel my pain. You now, I know we like to say I feel your pain, but you really can't You don't know my taste buds. You don't know my joys. You don't know the thoughts. You don't know the motives of my heart And I am to control this body that God has put me in charge of. I'm to control it. I have a responsibility and someday I will stand before God and give an account for what I do for this body. And I'm responsible for this body. No one else. Number three. God has created us, mankind in general, male and female. And he's given us different roles and different functions. God has designed us in unique ways to complement one another. We're complementarians. We complement one another. N- women have a unique role in uh, being able to bear children. And they are to be under the umbrella and uh, protection of men. Provision of men. And throughout Scripture what we see is women are a special objects of care and affection from men. And that's by God's design. God has designed it that way. Number 4 is that we are sexual creatures. We are sexual beings. And we and, and God has built that into us that there is an attraction for one another, attraction between the two sexes. But that is to be confined to marriage. It can be confined to marriage. It's not a public thing. It's not to be shared with everybody. This is a man, this is between a man and a woman, one man, one woman, and it's a time of intimacy. It's a time of intimacy. And this attraction, another element of this, is a powerful attraction. It's a strong drive, a strong urge that God has given to men and women. And it has great power, it's a great force. It can be used for great good, for faithfulness, to keep men and women together in marriage. It's by God's design. It's a strong desire, and it could also cause men and women to do stupid things. Now, what's interesting is that this act of intimacy, described in Scripture between Adam and Eve, it says that Adam knew his wife. Eve, and that's elevating that act as something that is precious, something that is to be exalted, and it's a beautiful picture there. He knew her, that intimacy there. It's a wonderful word. The world does not use that word. The world uses vulgar language, crude, descriptive, graphic language to describe that, and is not in a good light. We, on the other hand, we see things from God's perspective. And it is to be a beautiful thing, exalted. It's to be in the context of a love and safety and security of of marriage. And Solomon is laying out this principle for his son. And we started last week in chapter 5. Solomon is giving us some principles to build a strong marriage. Okay? Okay we started out in chapter 5 he's given us two negative principles or two elements here i'll read them first of all we looked at last week we are to recognize temptation for what it is now that's infidelity uh, sexual relations outside of marriage this temptation we need to see it for what it is and that is death it's death and the number 2 we looked at last week is we are to remember the future for what it holds whether good or bad we're to look at the future And know that it holds. We're marching into the future, and how are we going to handle this? And when you look, you have to make decisions based upon the future. And Solomon is talking to his son about these things. About immorality. About adultery. About his sexuality. But he wants his son more than anything. Not, not just to okay son, don't do this and don't do that. That's not the point. He's wanting his son to see things, see marriage, see his own sexuality, see these desires from God's perspective. He wants his son to think like God thinks. He wants his son to see them the way God sees them. And that's our principle. Sexuality is a gift from God and is to be used to build a loving Marriage to the glory of God. Now that's an important principle. And that's what we see in the rest of this chapter from 15, from verses 15 on. And the question that Solomon's answering is, is not just how to build a strong marriage, but how do we view our sexuality? How we view marriage? And what is God's perspective on these things? And he gives us, again, three principles here, actually a few more, but three principles concerning god 's perspective on our sexuality and marriage, those kinds of things, and the first two are like two sides of the same coin now here 's the principle we must recognize the source this is the principle number one we must recognize the source of joyful marriage source of a joyful marriage in is not in infidelity but in faithfulness. Let me read that again, we must recognize the source of a joyful marriage is not in infidelity but in faithfulness. Look at verse fifteen. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. should your springs be dispersed in the uh, dispersed abroad, streams of water in the street he 's using water there as as imagery as a kind of a euphemism. This water is an image of a joyful um, Faithful marriage. And the water is held in cisterns. And a cistern is something that holds water that we draw water from. And the water is the source of life. And he is depicting here that a man's wife is his source. This is That is the source. And a husband is to draw from that. Affection, refreshment, satisfaction, sexuality. That is to be drawn from his wife and his alone. No one else's. No one else's. This union outside of marriage produces a union. Man and woman comes together, produces children. And he says, those are to be yours alone. The point is pretty clear. The point is pretty easy to get here. The picture that he's painting is one picture, one element of his infidelity in marriage is is not good. And Solomon is alluding to, obviously, and affirming the, the seventh commandment that thou shalt not commit adultery. In the Old Testament, we know that that was forbidden. In fact, it came with the penalty of death. It's a sobering thought. Our sexuality, like I said, sometimes it, it produces illegitimate children and those those are not to be just scattered and dispersed on the street. It's a, it's a waste. It's a waste. And so that's part of the picture that he's drawn here. But this is also a picture of faithfulness in marriage. It's a picture of faithfulness. Now time, time is an incredible thing. And it has a a unique way of of testing the heart and trying the heart and exposing the heart. And faithfulness faithfulness is an important characteristic especially of us as Christians and we are to possess our body in such a way as to bring honor to God and we are to stick with one wife again i think you get the point now let's make some applications of this number 1 these are some applications um we must have a high view of marriage we need to have a high view of marriage. Now today, marriage and the view of marriage is kind of being watered down. In fact, it's being re- redefined for us. And if you are keeping up with the news at all, you begin, you begin to see that. It's just beginning to water down. There's really very little commitment there to marriage at all. But we as Christians, we're to have a high view of marriage. Because it is God's design that men and women be married. Because there's a lot in that confine of marriage. So, I believe we should have a high view of marriage. We should have marriage counseling in preparation for marriage. I think, uh, as we were looking today, that uh, a young man needs to pursue marriage. If that's something that he wants, and it needs to be planned and thought through and thought out. And marriage has to be seen as a commitment for a lifetime. One woman, one man. Commitment for a lifetime. I believe in the pomp and circumstance of marriage. I believe that we need to bring the soberness and the importance of marriage to the table. I think there needs to be friends there to witness this marriage. accountability there. So, just that's way one way to apply this. There's another element there as far as applying this. This basically is just self-discipline. We just discipline ourselves in marriage. In fact, Jesus in the New Testament, we know the New Testament principle is not just, well, I didn't have infidelity today. I didn't have sex with anybody else, but my wife today, so I'm good. Well, no, Jesus elevated it. in Matthew chapter seven, he said, look, he said, don't even look at a woman to lust after her. Now, that's pretty, that's pretty high. And so this discipline is not just external discipline. This is a discipline of the heart. And we're to train ourselves, men, to control our eyes, control where we look, control what we see and and what we think. It's a discipline of the mind and the heart. Now, that leads to another application here. Satan is out there and he's selling us a lie. And this comes into play with what Solomon is saying. Somehow, there's much more joy, and there's much. It's better to have multiple women. It's better to have uh, to to go out and just explore your sexuality outside of marriage. No restrictions. And boy, uh, Satan would say you're just being restricted when you're just confined to one woman. He's, You've got greater needs than that, and you need to express yourself. And those are lies that Satan's are, and Satan's telling us today. You've got this strong sexual dr- drive. You're stronger than most normal, and normal and you need to get out there. That's foolish. We need to recognize for what it is a lie from Satan. It's a lie from Satan. And Solomon is saying that. The joy is within marriage with one woman, one man, and not outside of that. And let me give you another application. We tend to look. We tend to look around. We tend to shop, we might say. That's not a good term for it. And, and so what we do is we have people hold us accountable sometimes. And that's good. That's good to a certain degree. But the Bible in, in New Testament and really in the Old Testament doesn't talk about so much about accountability it talks about maturity it talks it tells us men that we need to become mature enough to not do this to have convictions enough to not do this now let me try to illustrate this with a probably a foolish illustration when my children were young or small you uh, you tell them okay I want you to go upstairs prepare for bed get ready for bed i want you to brush your teeth and you go upstairs and they go brush their teeth and all that but the reality is is they don't. They don't brush their teeth like they should brush their teeth, and so you have to stand over them. You have to be account. They have to be accountable to you. You have to stand over. Them. No, you missed a spot, Mom. I don't want to do this. You didn't even use toothpaste on this. No, you got to put toothpaste on it. You got to get the back teeth. I mean, it's 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 mind-boggling how children get away from brushing teeth. But you know what? My my child my guys my my daughter. It's been a few years now that I've had to do that. I I haven't gone up and and made sure they're brushing their teeth. No, why? Because they probably have had a toothache, or they're probably beginning to realize, oh, my teeth are... And they're brushing their teeth. There's maturity there. Now, guys, there's a certain amount of accountability that's built into our life, and that's a good thing. And we should have that accountability, sometimes of other men. But let me tell you, that's not where it is. Men, we have to grow up. Nobody can watch over us all the time. You have to discipline your own heart. You have to discipline your own mind. And we can fool around and may and and uh, and think that oh yeah, nobody's going to catch me. Nobody's. But the reality is, we've got to mature, men. We've got to mature. This this cannot be in the picture. Let's move on. So, we must recognize the source of a joyful marriage is not in infidelity, but in faithfulness. That's the source. That's the source. And the bottom line is that God requires faithfulness in marriage. He requires it. Number two, we must let ourselves be satisfied with the spouse that God has given us. Now again, two sides of the same coin. Saying the same thing. One's talking about infidelity. This is talking about focusing inside the marriage. This is a beautiful picture. Look at verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed. And rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you with all, at all times. Be exhilarated with always with her love. And for why should you... Why should you, my son, be exhilarated with a, uh, an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a of the foreigner? Why Why would you uh, buy into Satan's lies and say, that's exhilarating and that's where happiness is? No, happiness is to be found inside. And he says, let yours. And he says that several times. And that's an interesting word. It's an interesting concept because it's something that will naturally happen. The, the, the word literally means to, to fall out. It Just to fall out. And it's essentially let like gravity take its course. And what happens in marriage, just let it be. Let it happen that you become exhilarated with her love. Let it be that way. Let it come to pass. It's going to happen. And he says, rejoice, be happy with the wife of your youth. That's that's uh, the same wife all through life. One woman, one man. It's a, a loving hind, a graceful doe. This is... a Picture of a deer. This is a picture of just the, the beauty of a woman. And God has designed a woman to be beautiful. A graceful, beautiful face and form. Attractive to a man. It's a wonderful thing. Let her breast satisfy you. This is, this is imagery again for her affection, her love. And that should satisfy us, man. That should satisfy us. There's a satisfaction. Now the picture here is a one woman man. Her, his focus, his attention is on one woman, his wife. In the New Testament, we see that that is a characteristic of an elder. That's one of the things that we, as as other elders, we have to look toward. That what what is where is his eye? Where is his eye? It has to be a one woman man. Now Solomon is you know as graphic as this is, and this is about as graphic as the Bible gets. As graphic as this may seem, this is not a a sexual relation kind of uh, message or or, uh, lecture that Solomon is giving. Nature takes care of that. He wants us to see things from God's perspective. And God's perspective is that this sexual relationship is, is not just an act of procreation. And we think that sometimes. I know a lot of people in the puritanical world, that it's just for procreation. But no, that's not what you, at all what you see here. There's exhilaration. There is love. There's emotion. There is passion in marriage. And it is to be a delight. You say, why did God do that? Why did He, why did he put that in there? Because, and, and what he, the picture that you see here is that He is it's building, these two people are building a life together. And they, that building block is this affection that they have for one another. And this act, this act of intimacy that they can do together. And it builds a life that glorifies God. That's the picture. That's a wonderful picture. It's a beautiful picture. God has designed the, the bodies to be that way to complement one another and come together and build one another up. And what you see is, it's not a selfish thing, it's it's an other thing. I'm looking to her, she's looking to me. It's a coming together. Now, the question is, why are we not satisfied? Why are we not satisfied? I think it's a matter of focus sometimes, most of the time. I found a few years ago, that we are just spending way too much money at Walmart, You know, have you ever thought that? You just spend way too much money at Walmart. You know, I I did. And and it was a conscious thought. I'm thinking, how is it that we we can't drive by that place? We have to stop. And commercials are kind of like that. You know, they, they create needs. You don't need anything, but you go into Walmart and you come out with a shopping cart full of stuff that you really don't need. And that you would have never bought if you hadn't stopped and and satan is out there and he is telling you need this you need this you're not satisfied you're discontent that's foolish thinking and i believe men that we begin to shop it's foolish foolish and we buy into satan's lies or sometimes we think oh i have the right i have i've deserved this and i it's foolish we have a right to happiness. Tell Job that. Tell Joseph that. Tell Paul that. Paul says, look, I've got this thorn in the side that has three times I've asked, Lord, take this away. I could be a better minister if it, this thorn wasn't here. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. I don't care what circumstance you're in, man. You can be content. You can be content. Now let's just apply this. We must see this as God's design. You have two people that love each other. And look at the picture here. Two people that love each other and sparks begin to fly. And those sparks, that joy, that love is a building agent to build a strong marriage. That's what it's for. That's God's design. Anything less than that is outside of God's design. And it's a picture of loving one another. It's not selfish at all. It's My focus is on the other person. And together, they're building a life that will be strong and that can survive any difficulty throughout life. And it's needed. It's needed. It's God-designed and it's there and it's Good. In the context of marriage. Outside of the home. Okay, so inside the home, it's a building tool. It's a tool for for building a strong marriage. Outside the home, outside of the confines of marriage, it is a waste and it is destructive. And Satan himself is the one who comes and he kills, steals, and destroys. And he uses infidelity to do that. He will destroy homes. He will destroy marriages. He will destroy a society by attacking the home. With just this kind of thinking. And then another way of applying this is, men, where's your focus? Are you wasting your energies? Are you wasting your focus and your emotions and your affections on someone else? Or are you building that home? Men are you loving your wife like Christ loved the church? Let me show you let me show you this principle. In Titus chapter 2, we don't have to turn there, we don't have that much time, but in Titus chapter 2, the older women are to teach the younger women what? How to love their children, how to love their It's something that you build in. It's something that you practice. It's something that you have to intentionally do. And in Proverbs chapter 14, you can turn there and here's a here's a principle. Proverbs chapter 14 this is for women it says the wife the the wise woman builds her house but the foolish tears it down with her own hands now he's not talking about building a home building a structure this is building relationships Women, are you intentionally, deliberately building that? Using your affections and your love and building that home. Building strong bonds. And men, I could say the same thing. Are you building? What are you building? Are you building a home, a marriage that glorifies the Lord? We have to intentionally do that. That's God's design. He has given us this sexual relationship to be able to do that. He has given us affection for one another and focus on one another to build that. Why? Because we need good, strong homes to build churches. We need strong homes to build a community. It's not so much... It is about us, but it's it's about everything else as well. We're building. We're building. So we, we must let ourselves... That's so important. We must let ourselves be satisfied with the spouse that God has given us. Number three. Number three, we must always, we must always remember our accountability before the Lord. We must always remember our accountability before the Lord. And he says it just plain out. He goes right to this, verse 21. This is amazing. Uh, the way Solomon's mind works, he just, he just lays it out there for his son. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his past. Now let's just stop right there. There's, he's gonna give us three principles. This is the first principle. God is always watching. God is always watching. That's the principle. It's just simple it. He's just saying, the eyes of the Lord, before man, he sees. He is never not watching. He sees their ways. He sees their conduct. He sees their actions. He sees man's thoughts. He sees man's pattern. He sees man's motives. God is always watching. The eyes of the Lord are before man. Always on man. Always watching. You say, well, why, God, why does God... Not just immediately judge us and just condemn us and just kill us right now. Because if He knows our hearts, He knows sin. But He is patient. He is gracious. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that leads us to number two. Here's what's happening. God is also seeing this. Verse 22. His own iniquity. Now he turns to attention to the wicked. His own iniquity, iniquity will capture the wicked. And he will be held with the cords of his sin. One sin wraps around us. It's like a straitjacket. One sin. Two sins. Three sins. I remember when I was a little boy, I was amazed to see a thick rope. A big thick rope. Because you see the little thread and that kind of stuff. And you can break a thread. When you see a a thick rope, rope, it's made up of all kinds of smaller threads, smaller ones. You can't break a big, thick rope. Dave Alderman, this morning, or no, yesterday morning, comes to the church, gets this big, thick rope, big, long rope. And I'm thinking, Dave, what are you doing? I'm just going to cut down some trees. Poor Dave, he's in the hospital this morning because he was using a rope. Now, I don't know, that doesn't have anything to do with it, just focus here. He had a thick rope. Thick rope. And you take that thick rope, it can pull down a tree, or it can help pull down trees and things, and and it holds. He is confined just by sin. The habit of doing the same thing over. Habit of sinful thinking over and over again. It holds him. You go into a novelty shop and you may see this little device. You have a magnet on the top and a magnet on the bottom. And something is right in the middle that kind of looks like it's free. And it can spin and it can move and all this kind of stuff. But it is held. It is held by magnets. Sin holds. Sin holds. And that's the principle. Sin is always binding. It's always binding. You say, how do you break it? You break it with repentance. 1 John 1 8 9, you know this, we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Now that's a wonderful thought, because He breaks that sin. He can break the strong rope. How? By, by just repentance, by confession, and by repentance. Let's move on. There's one more little principle here. Death is always looming. Death is always looming. This is the wicked. He will die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, this foolishness, he'll go astray. He's going to get tripped up is the idea. And it's all because of lack of instruction. This young man, he knows. There's a sense that he's been warned, but he has rejected that instruction. He will not adhere to that instruction. And now he's facing death. Death is always looming. It's always looming. In the book of Proverbs, death is, can be, if you're on a path of death, sometimes he talks about a path of death. It can be instant, but there's also this path of death. And it, it's a gradual, and, and sin binds, and it causes us to go down this path, and it ends in death. Now this is a sobering picture. It's a sobering picture. God is setting back, and He's patiently watching, He's not judging men immediately. Sometimes He does. But He's setting back and He's watching sin do its work. Do what sin does. And that's bind men up. And it's on display. It's amazing. The powerful sin is. And we are the victims like a spider just spinning its web around its, its victim. that cannot get loose, this victim. And that's the picture. God's watching this. He sees that sin does these things and he is patiently waiting for men to repent. Patiently waiting for men to turn. But he also sees, he observes the power of sin. The power of sin and the death that comes from that. Our sexuality is a gift from God. And it is to be used to build a strong, loving marriage to the glory of God. This is all to the glory of God. Let's just quickly apply this, and I just have to ask a question. How's your marriage? How's your marriage? How's your marriage? Men, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Men, do you live with your wife in an understanding way, as Peter said? Women, are you using your love and affection toward your husband? Are you building a home? Are you building those children? Or are you distracted? We have to be careful. You know, Solomon, his own life here, there's a verse that says, These women turned the heart of Solomon away from the Lord. Solomon knows the power of sexuality. If there's any example in in Scripture, he knows that. I believe these things are written in his later life, and I believe he's looking back, and and he sees this. He sees this. And he's wanting his son to realize this power that god has given us is to be used for god's glory to build to build a strong and to maintain a strong healthy faithful marriage let's go to the lord in prayer father i thank you for this time this time in the word this reminder that your design is perfect you have not made us to be Outside of marriage. But you have made us for, for that confined. And your commandments are right. And they call us to the best life. May we not be caught up in foolishness. and We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.